This is Jess and Mason with A Mostly Green Life, the podcast that's making sustainability and our connection to the environment more fun and approachable for the eco-curious. Today we're chatting with Dan Kurzrock of Regrained, the leading food upcycling technology and ingredient platform that rescues grains created by the brewing industry to incorporate as an ingredient into better-for-you products. If you like beer or you like bread, you'll love what Dan's (laughs) doing to bring more sustainability (laughs) to both industries. Keep listening to learn more. So as we've been digging into sustainability, there's been one thing that has really stuck in my head. It was a quote from our friend Jeff Payne of Break It Down Composting. He said that of all the things we can do to help the planet, diverting waste and food waste in particular and finding uses for it is the one that seems impossible to ever turn out wrong. There's a lot of things where you question whether we're actually doing the right thing or not, but diverting food waste seems like solid gold. We have one of the absolute pioneers of this activity, Dan Kurzrock, co-founder of Regrained and the Upcycled Food Association. Let's start with the word upcycled. How old even is that word? Yeah, hey Mason, great to great to great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this term this term upcycled is uh, sort of a trendy new name for a pretty old idea, which is hey, let's uh, let's make the most of what we of what we have. Um, <laughs> your point earlier. Uh, I'm in favor of food waste, said nobody ever, right? It doesn't matter which way you lean on any issue, you know, including climate action. Like no one is in favor of, of food waste. One of the world's dumbest problems and one of the seemingly seems like it should be one of the easiest to tackle. Uh, upcycling is one of the tools that we've uh, we've developed to play a role in addressing the food waste crisis. And the term itself actually goes back a bit. The first time I was introduced to it was through Bill McDonough, and he's a sustainability writer. Um, actually, mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Upcycle. And oh, also cool. wrote Cradle to Cradle, right? So it's this idea of you know bringing like closed loop thinking, but you know upcycling is as opposed to recycling, where you're creating something back into itself. Uh, upcycling is all about finding highest value, and it was first applied, to my knowledge at least, to uh, like durable goods. You know things like building materials. Um, you know, for example taking plastic water bottles and, you know, filling them with like cement and using them as a foundation for a house or t-shirts that are made from old, you know, water bottles or like, you know, fleece, for example, like Patagonia has got a fleece that's made from, uh, from upcycled water bottles. So it's this idea of like taking something and basically arresting the like down cycle that was going to happen um, and, you know, producing something of of higher value. Yeah. It's something that's been used before. Yeah, or but not used up, right? right? So it's had its first use, but that there's this higher value second use that could be a co-benefit, you know, of the product, you know, being being created. So to apply it directly to food and like what we're doing with with regrained, um, I think it's one of the clearest cut examples of an upcycled food supply chain. Every time beer is brewed, you use a lot of grain. That grain is used for the sh- the sugars that are extracted from the beer, you know, produce a lot of flavor, but also the fermentable sugars for for alcohol production. The physical plant matter is still physical plant matter, you know, the, the grain itself. It's had some of its sugars extracted, so it's mostly fiber and protein, and it's and it's there. And so instead of having it go to best case uh, animal feed or compost or, you know, worst case like landfill or incineration, you know, with upcycling, what we're able to do is say, hey, actually, like, let's take that fiber, that protein, that flavor, let's stabilize this as a new ingredient and use it to create 
new food. So it's bringing like a novel food source in where there was previously basically like a, a leaky bucket, you know, in the food system where stuff was going to lower value. Yeah, going to arguably value. higher value part of the grain than the sugar, right? <laughs> from, from a, from a, not from the brewer's perspective, right? But from, <laughs> right. from the eater's perspective, yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs> and so when we talk about upcycling, um, you know, a lot of, one of the ways I like to frame it is that it's this idea of, it's it's like preventing food waste from happening in the in in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. It's you know it's a, it's preventing this wasted opportunity. Yeah, is it is it better than compost uh, to feed animals? Maybe you know there's LCAs and, and and things like that where you can look at the actual carbon footprint of this. But like if you look at the food recovery hierarchy that's as published by the Environmental Protection Agency, the, the EPA, there's a pretty clear pyramid. Kind of looks like that a uh, pyramid that. You might remember from like nutrition growing up, right? And at the very top of that pyramid is, is feeding people. You know, so feeding people is the most, you know, about the highest, the pinnacle use for food. Um, with similar arguments to like why eating plant-based is so much better for the environment, right? There's less entropy, you know, that, that's right. happening. So well, in long case, answer to an easy question. <laughs> uh, no, I think that was great. That was a complete answer that I don't think we really you find much out there. People talk about upcycle, but I think it's good to get back and, and really understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And while anything can be upcycled, you have really focused on food. Can you talk about why you chose food in the beginnings of that journey? Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities to upcycle throughout the economy. You know, food specifically, you know, there's kind of been emerged a few different like angles for what, you know, what can be upcycling. My journey started, I was an underage home brewer. So back in 2010, 2009, I learned how to make beer. And every time I made a batch of beer, I'd have all this grain. It's about one pound for every six pack. So I'd be making five gallons of beer. That's like a third of a commercial keg. And I'd have like 20 to 30 pounds of malt, you know, that's like left over from the process. So I felt like I was like, I was living in a fraternity house, house embarrassingly <laughs> enough at the time. So I felt like I was like making like a batch of oatmeal for like the entire house of like 40 people or whatever, <laughs> every time I made beer and then throwing that out. So that felt really wasteful. So it's not like I said, Hey, I want to get into upcycling. It wasn't even a term that we, we were one of the first to start applying it to, to, to food, you know, cause it's, it made a lot of sense from being sustainability nerds. It, it was kind of just like this product of experience, I guess, where it was generating what's felt like massive amounts of a food supply. Every time I was making beer, wanting to do something better with it. Um, and then learned that there was this rich history of people making bread with it. Actually going back to like the middle ages and, and Germany, people taking the this, this so-called spent grains from beer production and producing bread with it. There was brew pubs, you know, around the country that had pizza crusts and pretzels and, you know, things like that, that used this grain, but nothing on a, like on a commercial level that was really connecting the dots between commercial breweries and commercial, you know, food manufacturers. And thought that that needed to change. And so set out to do that, needed a way to talk about it. And we've become obsessed since. And, you know, our business is really focused on potential supply chains that are being left off the table from these kind of co-product process, like with beer producing. So any beverage where there's like a liquid being separated from a solid, you know, plant-based milk is another example of that. Or for example, in the, uh, coffee production process, the bean is is taken to make coffee. There's this fruit that has a lot of beneficial properties. There's also a leaf 
that has a lot of beneficial properties as a, as a tea. So we're really like looking at these like new sources of food. There's a whole other world of food waste innovation and upcycling, even specifically around cosmetically imperfect produce off spec stuff, you know, where the banana's too big or too small or too straight or too curvy or, you know, every permutation you can think of. And there's a, there's a whole kind of sector or subsector, if you will, dedicated to that we're, we're focused on that, like byproduct, co-product, mm-hmm. you know, pillar. So to go back to when you were brewing beer for yourself and for your roommates at the time, so that was on a small scale, right? When you started recognizing how much waste you were creating, what was your next step in terms of making this a bigger idea or moving forward with regrained? Totally. Yeah. First thing I thought is, wow, like this is like, where's the compost been? I grew up with a, <laughs> with compost and a vegetable garden um, in Northern California. And I was all the way down in Southern California for school, right? A whole nother world. And there, wa- there wasn't uh, a green bin. And so it felt like I was, I physically felt like I was, you know, wasting food. And that's what kind of set off this line of inquiry and figured if I could make beer, I could figure out how to make bread, um, started making bread with it, sold the bread to friends and then use the money from that to buy more ingredients to, you know, brew more beer and just start asking bigger and bigger questions. This is, if, you know, if you look back at, it's not the early aughts, what do you call it? Is it the aughts, the 2010, like on, what, what's that decade called? <laughs> oh, I, I That's don't a good know. question. Yeah. 2010s, the early 2010s. If you look back then, it, there was actually this really, this period of really rapid growth in the craft beer sector specifically. So there was actually more than two new breweries opening per day on average. Per day. Time. Wow, that's yeah. I feel like half of them were in Austin. Probably the other half yeah, were in yeah, Oakland. Tons in Austin. And <laughs> in so that's a good point, right? Because not just a bunch of breweries opening, but breweries opening in urban areas, which kind of shifted the ecology, if you will, of how this this uh, you know would be waste stream was you know was handled. And so, you know, here we are, like making our own beer, and you know, figuring out that oh, this is actually tasty and nutritious, and people will buy products made from it. At the same time that you've got this huge surge in craft breweries that are kind of shifting the industrial ecology of what you know what's happening with this this waste stream along the way uncovered stories like um the history of whey protein you know as a as an industry you know whey is a very valuable protein supplement that's in all kinds of products do you know do you guys know how how where whey protein comes from it's from dairy right yeah i actually so i was a chemical engineer in college and our senior project everyone had to pick a plant and build a plant with uh and I think we were taking byproducts or we had choices and everyone chose the whey stream off of cheese because it was right when whey was turning into a protein supplement and so everyone made all that product so I learned all about whey from all of their presentations <laughs> and you're you're allergic to whey protein aren't you yeah yeah I'm allergic <laughs> and uh so, so you were like I'm not going to do it on whey protein <laughs> right I did, I did a tequila factory and I still feel like I have valuable information from that. I think that was a better choice. <laughs> Make some inulin from the uh, agave fiber. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, but but similarly with um yeah with with whey you know as you you know learned about uh, first person that's a very specific allergy by the way. Uh, <laughs> but that you know was a, it was a challenge for dairy processors cheesemakers specifically to get rid of right and then you know they developed a market for whey protein and others whey producers were cheese as the byproduct. <laughs> right. That's and that's the way that it should go with like brewer's grain and beer but you know it's a really interesting i think historical analog that like this this makes sense yeah <laughs> you know that, that there should be um two products you know created here and thinking about yeah. when you were doing you're talking about those stories and doing research 
Do you have any stats to help us understand kind of the magnitude of this would-be food waste issue we have? Beyond beer, is that your question? Yeah, just like what is the total amount of food we could, we should be using that currently we're not? Yeah, the, uh, the kind of the best like aggregate estimates are around uh, anywhere from like a third to 40% of all food that's grown is wasted. Wow. Which is pretty staggering when you think about it, right? It's like leaving mm-hmm. the grocery store with five bags and dropping two in the parking lot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, ah, devastating. No worries. You know, I've got, I've got three other bags. Yeah. Um, and, and the data is getting better and better. One of the best sources for data is this organization called Refed. R-E-F-E-D. And if you go to like refed.org, they've got this incredible insights engine that they've, they've built and they, they put out one of the, uh, like an early, you know, back, back in 2014, 2015, like the first roadmap to reduce food waste. One of the things that, that I've always argued is like just generally underrepresented in these totals is what potential upcycled supply chains, right? Because there's like some nuance between, okay, what's food waste and, and what's food loss, right? Mm-hmm. And both of those require a framing up front of thinking about everything as being potential food. And so if you look at the brewing industry, for example, spent grain, so-called spent grain, isn't typically measured as like food waste because it wasn't considered, it wasn't really thought of as food. It's just an input for making beer. Now, is it food loss? You know, and it's like, how, how, how like esoteric do you want to get with this? And so I, the, the, my like... TLDR on how much food we're wasting is just like too much, just way, way too much. Yeah. So Regrained has been around for about a decade at this point, which is pretty amazing. Capturing the grains created by the brewing industry. Do you have an estimate of how many pounds of grains uh, your company has recovered over the last 10 years? Yeah. And what's, what's, what's interesting too is like we've been at this for a long time, but it was a dream also for, for a while. It's kind of this like recreational entrepreneurship thing. We've really been at it full time since about 2017. And then... I've been scaling like the ingredient business, you know, side of our, our thing, where we, which is the real potential for impact since uh, kind of like mid mid twenty twenty, you know. So our actual impact, honestly, is much lower than we would like it to be. I mean, there's tens of billions of pounds of this brewer's grain that's available right now. We are making a dent pretty much in a single brewery <laughs> in a single city. And that's still, that's a lot of grain. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of grain per, you know, per year that we're currently taking, but it's uh, a sliver of the order of magnitude that we are, are really looking to, to unlock here. Um, and we're at this nice turning point right now where awareness about upcycling is being tied into more general awareness about food waste, which is being tied into more general awareness about like the climate crisis and our food choices and the role that that plays, you know, in that. You know, so you've got food product develop, developers looking at what they can be doing with their supply chain and innovation programs to make an impact on the issue. And you know, for us, like the key to moving the needle here is working with the existing players in the industry, also the emerging ones, but the, the you know the companies that are already in the business of making, distributing, marketing food products and helping them create upcycled food products that then you know, will translate to, to us being able to, to upcycle more supply on, on our side. And so we've been really building towards turning that on and it's, it's happening right right now. And it's, uh, 
excited to have like a crazy impressive number you know the, in the <laughs> millions or tens of millions of pounds you know next when we do an update on this on this podcast in the in the future well hundreds of thousands of pounds is still that is a big deal i guess when you arrive at the brewery and you're like you said you're taking a small slice of it uh i could see how that that might not seem like a ton but i think it's amazing what y'all are doing and you are diverting it and when you look at the your website and the stats that y'all have on your grain, even just versus other grains out there, it just looks like a dramatically better product. It's got better protein profiles, better nutrition in it. And so it's disappointing that it hasn't already just taken off and those tens of billions of pounds aren't already being used. What do you think are kind of the the barriers? What are the challenges to that? Yeah, yeah, no, thank, thanks for all that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a really amazing ingredient, really the only like uphill battle we have with it. The big one is gluten free, right? That's a huge trend in the, uh, in the food industry still. And this product just comes from barley, it has gluten. And we so we try to educate people like, hey, not all gluten is created equal, you know, and there's also this huge like fiber gap that we have, you know, with our national diet that this can play a role in filling and it's, it's play, it just like makes sense across the board. You know, in terms of scaling, you know, when you're setting out to build an ingredient business, especially when working with some of the like the largest players in the in the industry, um, they have very established processes for this that take you know take years. Frankly, mm -hmm. like it's a big food company. If they launch a product in less than two years, that's like really fast. <laughs> and yeah. so, balancing this, uh, you know, first there was this kind of like education and awareness hurdle, which I think there's it's night and day compared to, you know, even just like four years ago around this. And then it's okay, getting into the product development process with each of these companies and, and, you know, working with them to understand the opportunity, understand the applications. And we've got a lot of like partnerships that we've set up to help you know, amplify our impact with, with that side of things. Um, and then, we, you know, you're moving through this, this really slow process that's really designed so that many of these like especially like the largest food companies that they don't like make mistakes. The process is optimized to avoid mistakes as opposed to producing kind of like net positive outcomes across the triple bottom line. We need more fast moving companies or fast moving like groups within these companies to be commercializing some of these most progressive ideas like upcycling, like sustainable packaging, like plant-based or, you know, and all the, uh, you know, all the other really exciting, like innovative edges in the in the industry. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't even understand how dialed in some, of, especially in baking, some of these processes are. I went for a tour once at the Bimbo factory in Mexico City, and they produce, I think they were producing like two to four billion dollars worth of pastries a year. And they had 50 full truckloads of wheat flour arriving daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they literally problem. like receive ingredients in tankers, yeah. right? And I just think about that. Would you say like two two billion dollars worth of patient? And that's probably a wholesale price, right? So we're talking yeah. about like cents per unit. Like think about how much. Think about the outbound trucks, you know, right. from, from the, like the volume is just is just astronomical. Um, which is also why it gets really exciting thinking about working, you know, with a a large player like that. Cause yeah, flipping one of those it, lines, it, it instantly, it's like a step function, right. Yeah. As opposed to like a more of a linear growth function, you know, mm -hmm. with this, it's like, okay, we're coasting along maybe for two years where they're buying almost nothing while they're developing a product. And then they launch a product and it's like, boom, right. There's all of a sudden you need more breweries <laughs> in circulation. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so we'd love to like well, we designed our technology so that it can actually like be deployed on site at a at a brewery or at a you know beverage production facility, and that's like our, our model for scaling is distributed infrastructure, you know, placed you know placed around the way. But um, right, right and and the, what's going to drive that is like is demand, right? So more of these products coming to market, being like, oh, you know, holy cow, we need to we need to find some more. Um, you know, and of course we're would be anticipating that by like <laughs> and that and, but that's how that's how it starts to get um you know really impactful gotcha so what's coming next for regrained is essentially you become a process engineering firm and you implement it on site well what's now is that we're a ingredient supplier mm -hmm. and a development partner for food companies so we have our own like basically vertically integrated supply chain we don't own the brewery but that you know we're, we're producing the um, the, the raw material and selling the raw material ourselves and then working with companies around understanding how to, you know, how to use it. So like, for example, um, you mentioned a very large, you know, bakery, the way that we would, uh, in, you know, engage with a group like, like Bimbo would be through, we actually have an, another relationship with a company called Puratos that makes, uh, they, they're in like an industrial bakery ingredient supplier and innovation partner. And they work with them to develop products that a company like Grupo Bimbo can then ultimately, you know, take to market. And so like our next few years are really focused on supporting the innovation process and commercial scale up of these products with, you know, large players and also emerging players in the, in the space. And then kind of what you're, what you were asking about, I, you know, we see as somewhat of a parallel phase, but really a, like a next phase of okay, what's it look like to, you know, license this technology? But the, you know, the practical reality for right now is we've got the supply and now it's about like actually activating the demand side of the equation to right. then justify, you know, further, uh, you know, increases in the supply chain side. Mm -hmm. Fun. And so beyond selling the grain as an ingredient, you guys also experimented with a few CPG products yourselves, like some puffs and bars. I'm pretty sure I saw the bars on Imperfect Foods. Um, at CC's, we sold our product there and we got Imperfect Foods delivered quite often during COVID. <laughs> um, and so I remember yeah. seeing your product there. And then in addition, there's some pasta as well. How did all that go? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that we've, uh, that, we, that we realized really early on was that on the demand side of things, no one knows how to talk about uh, brewer's grain or upcycled food, you know, more, more generally. Um, you know, the brewing industry calls it brewer's spent grain, for example, like it has no value left in it. It's spent its value. Um, not a great food name, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, especially because it's actually really, if you look at it nutritionally, it's a super grain. It's got superior protein levels, superior fiber levels, you know, great flavor, et cetera. And so we figured, hey, before we can convince another company to use this ingredient, maybe we should try and make some things ourselves and see yeah. what that, uh, see what, see what that'll do. And so the first product we ever launched was, was were bars. We did a few versions of the bars, actually. Um, the bar format, one of the reasons why you see so many like nutrition bars, snack bars, Etc. on them on the market is because you can the barriers for entry are very very low right you can start by making them by hand you can you can cut pretty uniform bars you know in a uh and like with like a manual process and package them with a fairly manual process and still have it look fairly professional uh, you know as well and so we uh we use that as our kind of platform to introduce this hero ingredient if you will had a lot of challenges with that product line to be honest with you um not the least of which was also commercializing compostable packaging at the same time that was mm. totally new to market and pretty much entirely untested. Um, that was really smart. Innovative. Yeah, we we're just trying to do the right thing. Right. And so that was, that was interesting. But then we also, what we were thinking is that we could take different categories and show that 
the you know the brewer's grain the regrain supergrain plus could be used in these applications and then have that kind of agitate stimulate you know demand from from other food companies mm -hmm. so we did it with bars first because it was the easiest thing to do it with um and then we looked to salty snacks next and within salty snacks mm -hmm. and so you know we did so then the kind of recent iteration of that is okay let's work with startups you know where they're not huge volume opportunities for our ingredient at the get-go but they can accomplish a similar thing from like a showing different applications you know continuing to teach uh teach the market about you know about upcycling and the value of it and also you know create um you know, hopefully like highly marketable best-selling product lines with some of these startups and help them in their in their growth journey uh, and so we've done uh we've got many of these in the works two of them have come to market so far yeah very cool well we know well that uh, cpg and experimentation can be very painful but at the very least you have you now have this knowledge to pull from when you are collaborating with startups to you know help them with your lessons and if you have any slab formers in your boneyard or in the market for a slab former we actually have a new project we're excited about where we're taking restaurant kitchen scraps and turning it into dog food the company will be called the conscious pet and the first product will be called doggy bag like what you'd take home from restaurants yeah. and so i was a little worried at first as i looked into you and upcycled food association because it's technically not going into human mouths, which I know would be the highest and, and best use, but it does qualify. Pet food does qualify as upcycled with the Upcycled Food Association. Do you separate pets from other animals? I'm just curious because people think of them as children or do you, are there actual differences in the quality? Yeah, it's a really good question and you know, super excited about the project you're launching here. I think the the pet food market is definitely an area that we're seeing a lot of innovation, you know, around around upcycling. Frankly, it's one where there's always been a use for, you know, offcuts and, and things like that. And I think what's mm -hmm. important about uh, and, and where the upcycled certification and whatnot can come in to really help is to show that, hey, this this is not something that was already happening that we're now just calling, you know, that we're now just calling upcycling. Should like bully sticks, you know, be considered a, uh, if you guys don't know what that product is <laughs> listening in, maybe go look up what a, <laughs> what a bully stick oh, is. Oh, no, yeah. I've heard of those. Yeah. It's a dehydrated part of a part of a bowl. Yes, um, yeah. That is we can, we can say penis. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the balls or something. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, like, is, is what are we going to start calling that upcycled now? <laughs> you know, like, so that's that's kind of the dance, right? With, yeah. with um, you know, with this and on the other end of the spectrum, like there's, you know, this um, very exciting opportunity with pet owners and uh, an increasing like consciousness of pet owners and what they're feeding their pets and the values that that reflects. And um, there are, you know, all these supply chains that we were talking about earlier that like without upcycling would have otherwise not gone to, to use, you know, maybe would have gone to, you know, compost or, or landfill or be incinerated or energy generation or, you know, any of these other lower uses. There's also this challenge where very few municipalities actually allow still for like curbside food waste composting. They just take yard scraps. Even in places where their, you know, compost does exist, that doesn't necessarily mean that food is going in there. Let alone whether or not it can be rescued and put to a, a higher use. And so, you know, I think like there, there's great opportunity with with the pet food market. It is to your point or question earlier about like pets versus animal feed. Yes, it is considered a separate category. Animal feed would be more like livestock and you know ranching use and feed for producing 
animals for their products that we then consume versus, yeah. you know, fur babies, you know, as you were saying. Um, and there's some other great brands out there. You know, one that's um, been very active from from the beginning of the upcycled food movement is uh, Shameless Pet. You know, for example, they've got a whole brand built around upcycling fruit and veggie products and into pet food products. We worked with Shameless Pets at our last company, CC's, as uh, well. Yeah. And so at CC's, you know, we were making pasta out of fresh vegetables. And right. kind of at our peak, I think we we're, it was almost, I think it was a quarter million pounds of zucchini byproduct a week was what we are creating. And, you know, for us, the lowest common denominator was compost. We are a, a zero food waste company. And then, it, you know, there's always just kind of up the chain. And I used to say just the, the bigger the mouth, the higher the value because the you know, the bacteria are eating it in compost and they're pretty small mouths there. And then you get to pets and then babies and then food. And I, you know, I spent a, a big part of my time constantly trying to, as we grew, as our, as our food product grew, I had to spend more and more time trying to figure out what to do with all this food byproduct. Cause it was wonderful, organic, you know, clean fiber, delicious zucchini. And so we end up working with all of these companies as well. Yeah. Were you just curious, were you reducing a cost center by doing that? Were you improving profits by doing that? Was it just the right thing to do all of the above? Um, mostly the right thing to do. People could come and just take it for free. And then if we had to transport it and store it in a particular way, we'd, we'd price it accordingly with a, you know, a zero food cost. And then we'd figure out how much it would cost to actually get it to them in the form that they need it and then price it at that. Got it. Cool. And so, you know, you mentioned other brands that are doing good things on the UFA website. I see a lot of brands on there and a lot of products that look really cool. And it doesn't seem like very many of them have broken into the mainstream. What do you think are the challenges there? I think it's a pretty classic, like adoption curve question, right? So you always see a proliferation of startups before you see the industry incumbents really doing that. So like what it's going to take is like some of these startups scaling. And, and then at the same time though, you do have, you do have some of these huge companies like Dole and Mondelez and Del Monte, you know, some of the biggest food companies in the economy that are actively, you know, producing upcycled, you know, upcycled products as well. I'm not surprised at all that it's, if you look at the member companies, it's mostly you know, it's mostly startups. And the, it's worth noting too, that the Upcycle Food Association was only started two years ago. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, didn't it's a know super, that. super new organization. The Upcycle Food Certification launched just this last summer. And so, you know, there were seven or eight of us kind of peer companies starting this together. And, you know, it's grown a lot in a very, in a very short amount of time. Um, and I would love to see membership continue to grow, but really what I want to see is more products from companies that aren't necessarily upcycled companies creating upcycled products. You know, that's, that's yeah. where this breaks into the breaks into the mainstream upcycle food association is a member driven organization. That's an industry nonprofit. So when I'm talking about companies joining, like they're literally becoming, you know, members of the upcycled food association. And then many of those members will get products that are certified as being upcycled products, but the product certification and ingredient certification, you don't need to be a member company necessarily to, get a you know a product certified so seeing that certification on products may be limited right now um, but our listeners can certainly look for that certification on products but is there any other ways that our listeners can engage with upcycled foods more 
Yeah, I think, I mean, looking for that, looking for that certification is definitely, you know, a good thing to do um, for listeners that have brands that, you know, some of your favorites, you know, like people, I, a lot of people don't realize that you can just like hit up some of your favorite brands on Instagram, you know, and sometimes it'll be, it'll get to like the founder or like an executive, you know, team member, depending on what the, the question is. And so like ask, like, hey, like, what are you doing about food waste? What are you doing about, what are you doing about upcycling? Um, there are increasing amounts of these products that are, that'll be showing up on shelf, um, you know, now and into the future that carry that, that seal, you know, that upcycled seal. So that's definitely something to, to look out for. I think the most powerful thing anyone who's listening to this can really be doing is to walk away with an understanding of the food waste issue of what upcycling is and talk to a few people about it, right? Like word of mouth is a really, really powerful tool that uh, has like ripple effects well into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At CC's, we created a a new category, you know, turning vegetables into pasta, but you're creating, you're helping create an entire new industry. So we thank you for what you do and thank you for coming on the show. We really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, you too. So it was, it was yeah, just great, great to be with you. And always, you know, anyone who's listening that wants to get in touch, I'm like abundantly easy to, to find <laughs> on LinkedIn or, or email and, um, you know, love supporting other, you know, entrepreneurs and innovators and, kind of tapping into tapping into this. So please be in touch. It was a little mind boggling to hear that he's just putting a dent in one brewery's spent grains, combined with the fact that his super grain, as he calls it, is much better, has much better nutritional properties than other grains. It just seems like a no-brainer. The entire industry should be utilizing this. Yeah, totally. You know, some of my next questions were about how many breweries he's working with across the country and if any local breweries like here in Austin want to partner up and learn how to, you know, make sure <laughs> Yeah, that you wanted to help him out. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, I guess they're not quite there yet, you know, even though they're still doing such amazing work and yeah. huge potential. I can't believe that there's 20 billion pounds of grain created from breweries, and that was just in 2020 alone. Yeah. All that grain could be feeding people. Yeah, which it's feeding animals, I guess, right, is what he mentioned. But it could be feeding people, which are at the top of the pyramid. Yeah, top of the pyramid. <laughs> or pets, which are well above cattle. And above some people, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and so kind of related, our new project, The Conscious Pet. Where's that applause one? Oh, my God. That hurt my, scared me and hurt my ears. Jeez, yeah, that was a little loud, huh? Let's try it again. And kind of related, our new project, The Conscious Pet. Woo! That was the wrong one. Yeah. The Conscious Pet. Oh, dang it. How did I lose it again already? I'm going to start all over. And kind of related, our new project, The Conscious Pet. And kind of related, our new project, The Conscious Pet, is taking restaurant kitchen scraps and feeding them to pets. And to feed a large portion of the pets in Austin, we calculated we only need the scraps from a few restaurants to participate. Mm -hmm. And for clarity, we'll talk more about this project as we get closer to launch. But these aren't the leftovers you'd actually walk out of the restaurant with. These are scraps from the kitchen that didn't go into the food you eat, 
So there's no spices or things like cheese and other things that go into it. It's a very specific set of items that we have selected that together make the perfect meal for pets. With 30 to 40% of food produced not being eaten, this seems like an incredibly noble journey, and we're so excited that Jeff and Melanie over at Break It Down brought this idea to us and invited us to help. And it's also funny that one of his recent projects with Regrained launched around Earth Day last year. When did you say you wanted to launch the Conscious Pet Again, Mason? I think you you gave us a timeline as of two days ago. Two days ago, I drew a line in the sand, mm-hmm. and you guessed it, Earth Day. We promise to let you know as we get closer to launch. Any other upcycling takeaways, Jess? Um, you know, I think it was fun to hear him mention the companies that we worked with at CC's. We were helping the upcycled food movement before we knew what it was called. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. We, I never referred to it as upcycled. I was just like, we have a lot of zucchini. Who wants it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just trying to prevent waste. We probably could have gotten certified as a company, although I guess it didn't exist when we were really working on it. It does seem like there's a demand problem, though, which requires education. Hopefully, the Conscious Pet can help educate people about what upcycling is and why it's important. Absolutely. And I'm so excited for the project and even more excited about how many dogs I'm going to get to interact with throughout the process. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for this week's giveaway, we are offering coupons to a few of the companies that have products certified by Upcycled Food Association. And our winner is, drumroll please... Charles Lehman. Congrats, Charlie. Reach out to redeem your prize. And lastly, we want to hear from you. We've created a short survey where you can rate the guests, us as hosts, and the content, which will be incredibly helpful as we look to refine our content through 2022. And you can go find it at mostlygreen.life backslash podcast survey. Thanks for listening.